From stocks and bonds to ETFs, mutual funds, gold, art, cryptocurrencies, and more, there are numerous asset classes you can invest your money into. But one of the favorites, particularly in the UAE, is property, mainly because it is a tangible asset. Investing into bricks and mortar is sometimes considered a more solid and secure investment, partly because you can actually touch what you've bought. But how does a real estate purchase compare to investments into stocks and bonds over the long term? Should you take on a mortgage? When is the best time to enter the market? And what happens if it all goes wrong? Welcome to Pocketful of Durham's. I'm Alice Hayne, the Personal Finance Editor of The National, and joining me today is Dr. Michael Waters, an Associate Professor in Real Estate at the Heriot Watt University Dubai campus, who will explain why property is a sound investment for your future. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Alice. The property markets across the globe are quite wobbly at the moment as we're all trying to absorb the effects of COVID-19 and with job losses and salary cuts certainly taking their toll, you're going to have to make quite a compelling case for investing in property right now, Michael. So in your opinion, should those considering an investment into real estate delay such a decision? So I'm here today really to sort of share and advocate some investment in real estate. Um, I'm not saying go all in into property. But I think the, the the academic studies that I'll discuss in a moment actually showcase the, the benefits and the diversification benefits of having real estate as part of your of your personal portfolio. Um, I think like with any investment, there is a there are there are times and opportunities that present themselves which um, showcase uh, in hindsight a, a good investment decision and I don't you know property is no different to any, any other asset um, that, that, that we invest in so I, I'm not necessarily saying now now is the right time I think currently we've got sort of three things working in in our favor in the local market so so we have lower property prices we know that prices have come down since the sort of second peak that we saw in 2014 we we are seeing borrowing costs and mortgage rates lowered so they're they're sitting at around three and a half percent and we've also as a response to covid19 we've had the central banks lower the loan to value ratio so we're now looking at a 20 percent deposit and not a 25 percent so those sort of three things coming together from a if we call it a rational academic perspective make real estate uh, quite an attractive buy opportunity I think for the right buyer. Absolutely and you know as you say those three factors combined are are very promising but you've got to have a a regular salary and a job to be able to secure that mortgage uh, to buy locally and if you look around the world property investment a lot of people here invest overseas but again you've you know we're still operating in a COVID environment and actually getting property deals across the line can be quite tricky in this current market so it should be sort of, you know, if you're going to go into that, you should think about it quite cautiously at the moment. Yeah, I think any, particularly first-time buyers, I think you're looking at somewhere between, you know, a two to three-year planning process. And part of that planning would be saving for the deposit, um, which is obviously a, a financial process in itself to, to plan that. So I think not necessarily, people should maybe start to think at certain parts of their life cycle when they want to expose themselves to, to, to real estate in their personal portfolio. So whether, you know, many, many of, you, of your listeners might advocate um, stock or bond investing 
and and I and my view is that real estate supports those kind of investors, and some of the data that we'll discuss in a moment will hopefully showcase that that um, attribute. Okay, so as an investor myself, I mean, I, I invest in stocks and bonds, and I also invest in real estate. So I agree, it is a great way to diversify a portfolio. How do the two types of investments compare? So if you've if you've got a portfolio dominated by equities and bonds, and you've got somebody else with one that's dominated by real estate, how do the two match up? Okay, so I can I can look back at um, historical studies, and I think um, if we go if we go back over sort of a twenty five year period from from 1980 to 2014, we've got studies which has looked at private residential real estate, which is is the type of assets you and I would would be most likely to be investing in initially, um, and that found within the UK that that real estate returned an 11% per annum return, whereas stocks returned 12.7%. So stocks wins on the return, but where real estate comes in. Is a, is a much lower volatility. So in that same time period, that same study found that volatility for real estate is 4.5% versus stocks, which was at 16.25%. So real estate, is a, is a, you're getting essentially fairly strong returns, or we've seen a history of strong returns versus a much lower level of volatility uh, within that profile. So it's probably quite a good investment for somebody who, who gets a bit worried by watching the stock markets go up and down and the charts, you know, where it's all spiraling all over the place. So for somebody who who likes a more reassuring investment, then perhaps property might be a, the better option. Again, other studies show that just a small exposure of real estate and whether that's um, commercial or, or residential, you're, you're balancing your, your portfolio of stocks, bonds and real estate is is being elevated so so a us study by blackstone again supports this same notion when real, a 10% allocation of real estate we see a 5.9% annualized return on that portfolio versus a 5.5 return of a 6040 stock bonds portfolio so we have seen a history that supports a more efficient portfolio performance if real estate is part of that and how does property perform relative to other investment categories? Okay, so I've given you I've given you a bit of an insight to the returns and the volatility. Um, another thing that's important in in the presence of real estate is its correlation to those assets. So again, if I just draw on some studies where we've looked at this in, in the, both in the UK and the US, we see real estate low having a low correlation. So from zero to one, it's on the lower end of that. Um, scale so it doesn't move in complete synchrony with the stock market so they're the kind of assets that you want in order to achieve diversification and with bonds you've got an even lower and in the US negative relationship slight negative relationship between bonds and real estate so I think those sort of three things and the evidence point pointing of return and and volatility sort of are the the, the mechanisms of the areas that sort of support the attributes of real estate as an investment when we look at it as a collective retirement portfolio. So before we delve more into the numbers and, and the risks and returns, can I ask you, are you an investor yourself? Have you bought real estate? Is that something that's a part of your portfolio? Well, I, I have, and I, I do like to practice what I preach. So as, as an academic, um, at times I make challenging decisions and, and those those mistakes have largely been uh, probably selling um, certain financial assets too early. I think a lot of us initially, when we start out, we suffer that same 
process. And do you invest locally in the UAE or, or do you invest in the UK or globally? Where Where's your chosen investment destination? I can classify myself as sort of a utilitarian investor. So I, I've purchased a property in Dubai and my first property was actually a Dubai-based purchase um, and that was planned out simply because I wanted to be in Dubai for at least five years um, and I saw there was opportunities to to buy at that particular point in time and and saw it as a yeah as a good safe opportunity savings plan for my, for myself uh and then since since then acquired several other properties elsewhere in in different parts of the world so the property that you bought in dubai was that to live in or was that to rent out and to to bring in a sort of an income so to speak yeah i i, I was my own landlord so it was to live uh, to live in was um was the intention of that purchase? Um, I came to Dubai, you know, t- two thousand and nine, and it was a, a couple of years after that that I, I purchased. I mean, obviously, we do look at the financial opportunity, but it was more, again, like I said, more more one of utility, having a having a space that that is under my control. Um, I'm not, you know, a landlord's not going to be wanting to sell. I'm not going to have to have uh, lengthy discussions about the rents. Uh, three months prior to the lease renewal and all those other factors that you know over time can become quite quite wearing and and that's something obviously that has rewards in it because you're not paying rent out to somebody else you're actually paying yourself but when somebody's considering going into a real estate investment what are the risks and returns that they should be thinking about okay so I, i guess looking at the alternative which would be um you know globally diversified low cost index funds which have a place and, and should have a place in people's investing when we buy direct real estate we sort of go against that stock selection process we because of course it's hard to diversify um, in the same way when you buy direct real estate than it is if we buy a global stock index um, so the things that obviously you have to consider as, as, as in the risk management is you know what are the attributes of of the property that you're buying into um what you know what are the qualities of, of, of that particular unit over the wider market um obviously it does require some homework and some research and some conversations with with the right professionals to ensure that you're going into the process fully informed as to as to what you're actually signing yourself up for but as i said personally i saw it as a as a way of saving almost automated saving because and at the time that when I purchased you know it was common to be paying in advance for your for your rent and obviously a mortgage allows you to pay essentially your rent over 12 um, or month, monthly installments so 12 um, annual payments so there was certain things that you but you do have to be mindful of obviously owning property requires some active management um, you've got service fees that need to be paid uh, you've you've got maintenance that has to be done periodically, but when you actually live in your space, you are a bit more mindful of those issues versus perhaps an investment property when someone else is living in that space. And for your other properties, I assume that you rent them out, so that, and that then gives you a stable cash flow. And how does that work for people? Because you know, a lot of people, you know, we sorry, I need to say that again. 
stumbling over my words. Um, and for your for the rest of your portfolio, I assume that you are renting out, which would then provide you with a stable cash flow. And we find at the National that a lot of people have quite sizable property investment portfolios where they own a number of properties and then collectively that rental income actually provides them an income. Uh, so to speak, that they can they can use to help build their wealth. So, I mean, is that something that you are looking to to do yourself? So, go, going back to the introduction, I, I'm an academic. <laughs> um, I'm fairly, um, I wouldn't say pessimistic, but if I put myself to, into that box of being fairly pessimistic and conservative with with my f- finances, I've always felt um, my balance or my personal decision with uh, leverage is not to. Um, have some, have have a huge overexposure so you know slow and steady sort of wins the race is my philosophy um and i treat i treat any leverage that i take on property as you know as serious as it should be taken so at some point i need to pay that um that uh, loan amount off um i try and build it into my plan that with the cash flow plus maybe some um other personal income then then that can happen at a certain rate and, and I, I put that into my plan so that I'm not trying to leverage every single opportunity that might exist. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not trying, I don't think I'd be a particular advocate for having um, a, a large investment portfolio because largely my f- philosophy is to invest and, and get utility. I'm a, I'm a user of the investment space. Uh, and if, you know, I always look at it if, if I'm left with the assets in the locations that I've bought, can I get utility out of them? So, you know, have I got a home bias? Are the other properties or asset, real estate assets that, that are that are on our um, portfolio, so to speak, is from is is uh, directed where where my wife is from? So, there's always a link to those investment decisions, and it's not necessarily scouring through opportunities globally and 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 looking at, at doing it that way. So I suppose in a way you're trying to make sure that you can actually use it. And I always say this, I always say, well, if everything goes wrong, I can at least I can live in these properties myself. Now, one of the properties I've invested into is a one bedroom apartment. Whenever I say that, my husband always says, so the four of us are all going to squeeze into that one bedroom apartment. I'm like, yes, if we have to. And that and that I do find it, it does give me that security is that if the worst came to the worst, you could live in it yourself. That's always the kind of underlying thing, isn't it? Well, also, if you if you if you've got a link to those markets, then you know if the market falls relative to you know if you, if you lose a certain amount on on your investment, it's likely that the rest of the market has lost a similar amount, and therefore it's about getting some equity in that market. And if yes, we all, our lives change. Um, at one point, it can be an investment property. At a certain point, you're using that equity that you've built up through collecting rent off a tenant to then displace that into a, a family residence depending on you know when you shift lo- location so I don't I, I've never thought it as a bad thing to to you know start out and, and build up and have a sort of an equity security in places that mean something to you as an individual and then I think that the real what I would call the hardcore property investors would actually say the opposite is that you shouldn't be looking for something that's tied to you they say you should be looking for those 
opportunities where you're going to get growth and it's all about yield. And that's a, a more strategic uh, approach, perhaps. Um, but for some, I think you and I are possibly on a similar ground is that we've tended to invest in places that actually we have connection to. And that's a strategy in itself. I mean, that I, either way can work. It just depends on your safety net, so to speak. Well, exactly. I think, you know, bottom line with any investment is is is, is emotional control. And if, if buying real estate in an area that you, you know more or you've got some link to helps you uh, solidify your plan and, and not deviate from it, then then that's better than, than not investing or investing in a in a speculation-based market where you're just trying to catch a trend and, and, and you come in too late and then the usability of that space is, is then down to you as an individual as to wh- whether you want to go to that particular location or not. Now, this all sounds great and uh, building a portfolio is a great thing, but how, you know, for the young investors or those trying to enter the market for the first time, uh, how do they get onto the property ladder? I mean, different countries have got different minimum deposit requirements. As you say, in the UAE, it's recently dropped down to 20%. So how do you balance building that deposit against investing in other assets or building up an emergency fund? What, what's a good strategy there? So in terms of sort of a saving for a deposit, I would, I'd, it's, it's a planning process all in itself. So I would say, and, and conservatively for a first time buyer, you're probably looking at a, at a two to three year window. And I would be putting the, the money that I'm putting aside for the deposit, I'd actually be putting it into something fairly easy access. I know that goes against uh, people's investment um, uh, mindset, but if we just take a very simple example and we say I'm buying an, a million dirham property in in the in Dubai or the UAE, I need to save two hundred thousand dirhams. Let's say the household income is is twenty five thousand dirhams a month. Then you're putting aside five thousand dirhams every month into that um, into that two percent, let's say, savings account. Um, that would give you a you'd need to have three years and that would take you three years and three months to save up for that deposit. Now, if I took that same 5,000 dirhams per month and I assumed an 8% return, which probably we could indicate would be a stock investment, I'm only taking three months off that time period. So to me, the risk of investing in a more volatile asset to save up for something that you want to kind of secure a house or a a personal space or your first investment, I would advocate that it's from that conversation that I've just laid out, it's better to put it in an, in an easy access account. And in your opinion, you know, is taking out a mortgage the best solution here? Because, you know, I have friends who are like, will not take on any debt at all. And that includes the mortgage. And they're obviously high earners because they can afford to buy in cash. But um, for the vast majority of us, that's not necessarily possible. So you do need to take on a mortgage. Um, so, you know, what's the strategy here? Aim for that 20% or try and put down a higher deposit to lower your costs? It's all about, as you, you, know, you mentioned about leverage. So how, what's the best way to go about it? I mean, I think one, one thing that maybe gets overlooked with a, with a mortgage is, um, oh, yes, it's a debt obligation. And, uh, you know, as I, as I said earlier, personally, you know, although we can get 25-year mortgages, I don't like to carry them for that for that long. But it, what it does do, it gives you an opportunity to assess the relativity of where to allocate money and, and funds. So, you know, as I said, like if you're paying a mortgage, 
at the moment, you might be in the region of, of three and a half percent on on that. And and again, is it the you know now might be a right a time where someone might think, well, that's a fairly risk free investment. I'm paying or I'm servicing a mortgage to a certain percentage, um, and I'll do that until I've got some some clearer ideas about the other the other returns that I might get on other assets. Um, it just gives you a bit of flexibility to decide throughout the lifespan of that mortgage how you want to allocate any additional saving or investment money. Cash obviously gives you an opportunity to to have less headaches. The process is is is, is cleaner. You, you don't need to satisfy the lending criteria of a bank. You don't have to adhere to any of the obligations that the the mortgage provider might put onto your use of the property. Um, and ultimately, until you've paid that mortgage off. The bank owns that property, so it's a. I think it's a balance. I think you know, being sensible about how much debt exposure you have is is one thing. Using leverage to acquire assets in a short to medium term time frame is is probably where I would be sitting on that on that fence, really. Because, as you say, if further down the line you've got the cash, you can pay it off earlier. And after a certain period of time, the fees of paying it off earlier that they they sort of disappear. So it becomes something that you can clear quite in quite a straightforward manner. But yeah, right, it gives you time. It buys you time. But if um, if you are looking to buy into investment properties uh, and and possibly have a few, um, how do does the return, let's say, in terms of the income that you receive, how does that compare to the dividends that you might earn? through having a stocks and bonds portfolio? Okay, so um, I, th- I think pr- probably as a, um, as a sort of a yardstick to, to returns on, on property, we're looking at somewhere between, so across you know, maybe the local market and the UK, you're looking at sort of a 6 to 8% um, income return or yield on, on a residential property. Um, bonds are, of course, some, some markets, that's, that's a negative um, um, yield and 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 stocks are, again obviously winning on paper in terms of uh, a higher income sort of you know some stocks individual stocks is sort of yielding eight to nine percent um, but you've got to think about the volatility of of that again and the 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 opportunity with property is that you can introduce some active management into that you have more control over uh, the, the the asset um, one of the things I I haven't yet mentioned is that when we rent you know, it's a lease obligation for the tenant to pay the rent. So that's at least a 12-month uh, horizon for you to know that that cash flow is fairly secure. Whereas when we invest into stocks, the dividends that we get from a, a stock investment they're not they're not con- they're not contractual, so they can change per quarter. Absolutely. Whereas with an income, you know, you're getting that amount every month. But you know, things can go wrong, which we can come on to in a little bit. Have you invested in property in the UAE or further afield? Send us your stories and questions to pf at the national.ae and remember that's pf for personal finance. Well, let's take a question from a reader. This is from JM in Dubai. And he writes, I want to invest in property in the UAE. Despite all the uncertainty, I want to stay here for some time. I would like to buy the apartment I'm going to live in. I'm currently building the deposit I need. Where is the best place to store the money in this era of low interest rates? 
which you've kind of answered already because you said, you know, you need to have an easy access option. So in your opinion, you're saying don't lock it away. And I would agree with you in that you don't want to put it into tight up in stocks because it's a short, it's a short term investment. So you do need to have it um, somewhere accessible. But what would you suggest like a simple savings account? So it's not cluttering up your regular account. Yeah, I think anything that that moves, you know, where, if the simplest way to to save or to put money aside for investing is is to separate that, and you know whether that's with the same bank or you want to hunt around for for an extra half a percent per year. Um, there's a lot of choice to to just move move that out of sight, out of mind, and just have it as an automated um, payment at the end of the month. Um, you, you, and also that cash if it cashes that cash then becomes something that um may go may go into the property it, but it also gives you the flexibility and it supports the um financial freedom if if we want to call it that of just building up some sort of cash amount in order to take action um and it's non-binding in that way isn't it because you know yes we can plan to to save a deposit for a property but there you know if at a certain point you then decide not to then then that, then that money's being built up regardless and it can be allocated to to another alternative investment if if you wanted to so locking it in anything as a fixed deposit um which isn't really doing much better than a instant access account and if you put it into riskier assets it's you know you might have to work harder there's no guarantees to get the ret- higher returns so yeah that's as, as i said earlier i would be it's more about the saving rate, your propensity to save off your income that's going to get you to that point quicker rather than any marginal differences that we see in returns on a two to three year time period. I would agree with you. So just a simple savings account where the saving is automated out of your account every month. So it hits that other account and you don't have to think about it and it's all being tucked away. And there is something very nice about money building up and knowing that it's building up and happening on a regular basis, that's, that's quite a comforting thing. Um, but like any investment, things can go wrong. I mean, I've actually recently sold a property in London. I got caught in that big COVID-19 halt that happened when the UK government demanded that all transactions stop. That was at the height of the lockdown in the UK. Um, my sale did go through in May. I did persevere with it. Um, and I didn't have to take a cut on um, the amount that I sold the property for. I, I stuck with the line and I got the amount that I'd agreed when I initially made the sale. But it, it, was, it was nerve wracking. And a lot through the years I've owned that property, you know, you've always got to contend with things like leaks, things breaking down, unexpected costs. You know, there are costs involved in maintaining a property. And as an overseas investor i also have an agent who manages that property for me so how much of those things do you need to factor into your kind of analysis of the of the i suppose the cost of the investment so the opportunity of having an active sort of uh, asset like real estate is that you can you can introduce things that improve the cash flow uh, and you can add some advantage to the property um, on a personal level on the counter side to that is yes it requires some annual expenditure um so uh, yeah i don't know yardsticks of about five or ten percent of the of the rental income going into some sort of sinking fund to pay for periodic uh events like leaks and 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 breakdowns probably is is a good idea you know 
a good management company that you've got a good relate you know building up a good relationship with them and being you know and try and negotiate better fees for, for that so even if that's a couple of percent you can you can push them to a to a lower sort of active management if you're an expatriate is, is always a good idea and then a, again a peace of mind strategy is to take out you know good good landlord insurance which is which is sort of a, nom, a nominal annual fee not not too much to to spend relative to your income but it's just again it's a peace of mind strategy so that you know if, if something like a water leak happens there's some coverage there Absolutely. And it's also about keeping track of all the changing regulations. I mean, the UK, for example, has just abolished stamp duty on purchases for the next few months if you're a first time buyer. If you were ready to invest, now would be a good time to do it because you, you haven't got that stamp duty cost. Yeah, as a first a first time buyer, you, would, you wouldn't have any transaction f- or stamp duty fees in the UK up and up to half a million pounds. But if, if it's a second investment, you're still going to be hit with the three percent. Of course, it is cheaper than it was previously. So that's a that's a positive change in the regulation. Um, a lot of these, you know, we, they're things that are outside our control. And you know, taxation is a very difficult um, a beast to kind of forecast what governments are going to do at certain points in time. Um, so that supports, I think, where we're going with the discussion is is having having a spread of assets in in multiple locations multiple assets so that you aren't exposing yourself fully to the decisions and regulations of one particular jurisdiction. Well, that sounds very wise advice. Thank you very much for joining us today, Michael. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Alice. Thank you this week to Dr. Michael Waters. If you have a question you would like to ask us, send it to pf at thenational.ae and remember that's pf for personal finance. Please do subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to receive weekly updates and also leave us a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison. I've been your host, Alice Hayne.